God loves His role as a father. And we find here in our text, as was true then, is true yet today, but in Psalm 40, notice with me if you would again, verse number 5. The psalmist says, Many, O Lord my God, are Thy wonderful works which Thou hast done, and Thy thoughts which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto Thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You cannot count them. You cannot number them. There are so many. God thinks about us. Why? Because we mean something to Him. Today, as we talk about this wonderful Heavenly Father and this relationship that we can have with Him, I want to give you several more thoughts and several more attributes about our God, our Father. The Bible says that the Gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Don't mess with a child of God. Uh, it'd be better if a millstone were hung about your neck and you cast in the depths of the ocean than to mess with a child of God. We have a champion who is on our side. Zechariah 2 says, He that toucheth you, toucheth the apple of mine eye. That's God speaking. We are the apple of His eye. And He is our protector. Well, we have our finale today, if you will, here in this little series on, on this Heavenly Father and this, this relationship that we can have with Him. And in Psalm 40, notice with me, if you would, verse number 5. The psalmist says, Many, O Lord, my God, are Thy wonderful works which Thou hast done, and Thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto Thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Once again, we find our Heavenly Father thinking about us, and we're special to Him. We're going to be talking about that, but let's pray first. Father, we come before Thee at this time. We thank You for the Scriptures. We thank You for the thousands of promises given in the Word of God that speak many of them, the relationship that we have with Thee. May You bless now this time in Thy Word and help us now to be profited by it and we'll thank You for it. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, for a number of weeks we've delved into a, a very critical subject. And I say critical because your impression of God is huge. How you think about God. It, it really dictates your success in the Christian life. Your impression of God. Your success, spiritually speaking, rises and falls on how you think of God or your thinking of God? Are you secure in your relationship with God? Um, what kind of relationship is that? You know, most people have a, a uh, nominal relationship with God because of the impression they have of God. And I'm talking about uh, Christian people, and we've dealt with some of the causes of why that is and the fact that it might stem from their youth and somebody in authority that let them down, and now they, they just kind of transpose that over to God and, and think the Lord is that way. So how can we change our impression of God? The Bible speaks of a putting off and a, a putting on. And we could talk about that maybe in another sermon. But the bottom line is it's a replacement philosophy or principle as taught in the Word of God. Some things that we need to, to put off and some things that we need to put on. And a right view of God is something that we put on based upon what the Bible says about God in the Scriptures. 
And so what we are doing, it's a battle of combating error with the truth. The devil's a liar, society's a liar, and the human heart is a liar. And so we have to get the truth of the Word of God in the picture. And through the, the Scriptures, the solution is found. It's not in psychology. It's not in psychiatry. It is in the Scriptures. It is in the Word of God. And so what does the Bible say? Because the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces, the Bible says, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. It gets right down there where we think and feel and live. And it can correct the error. The fact is, God wants to have a close relationship with us. A, an intimate relationship with us. A wonderful father-child kind of relationship with us. Because if you think about it, in eternity past, you have God all-sufficient, fine on His own if you will, but, but, but having all these attributes, these wonderful qualities, perfect in every way in love, uh, in kindness, and uh, compassion, and faithfulness, and and unselfishness, but, but no one to use him on. Think about this. He has all this, but nobody to share with. You follow the thought here? Nobody to be a blessing to, and nobody to use these qualities on. And so, God creates a recipient, if you will, and that recipient is man. Starts with Adam and Eve. He places them in the Garden of Eden, has this wonderful relationship with His creation until, well, mankind rebels. There's a severing of that relationship at that time. They disobeyed and, and now they're, they're separated and estranged from their God. And it's, it's breaking the heart of God. He comes looking for them. Saying, where art thou? As a sinner, man had broken fellowship with a perfect God. The problem is, uh, God is love. No question about that. But God is also just. And He cannot compromise His justice for the sake of love. Love at the expense of truth is not love. And, and that's the problem with so much religion today. The only solution was for God to become the sacrifice man needed for sin. Really His own sacrifice, if you want to put it that way. And so He took on flesh and He came to this earth and He came with a dual purpose, really, of course, in dying on the cross. He paved the way or the bridge back uh, to God between God and man. And that reconciliation was made. But secondly... As a creator and a loving God, he was able to, pr to prove the love that he had for man by dying for him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It proves what we mean to our God. And the way of salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Calvary's cross. That's the way to heaven. Uh, we don't earn it and, and get baptized in order to merit it or anything else. We receive it as a free gift. Because it's been paid for by our Savior. Now the result afterwards is we're sons. Remember last time? But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The Bible says in 1 John 3.1, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. That word behold is a powerful word. I don't think we can really wrap our minds around it. But, but behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God or the children of God. God loves His role as a Father. And we find here in our text, as was true then, is true yet today. But in Psalm 40, notice with me if you would again, verse number 5. The psalmist says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. 
they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You cannot count them. You cannot number them. There are so many. God thinks about us. And it mentions His thoughts which are toward us. And, and the deeds done toward us. The wonderful works which He's done toward us. Why? Because we mean something to Him. He loves us and we mean something to us. Now, today as we talk about this wonderful Heavenly Father and this relationship that we can have with Him, I want to give you several more thoughts and several more attributes about our God, our Father. First of all, He is a friend. He is a friend. It was Robert Louis Stevenson who said, no man is useless while he has a friend. How true that is. No man is useless while he has a friend. Kingsley added, a friend knows the best and the worst about you, and yet he still loves you in spite of your faults. How true that is. You know, if you really want to know who your friends are, make a mistake and see if they stick by you. Somebody else said that. I'm not sure who. But turn to Proverbs chapter 18. May I say this about our Heavenly Father? He's not a fair-weather friend. He's true blue. And what is amazing to me is that we can actually be friends with the God of this universe, with the Creator of everything, with the One who is omnipresent and and all-powerful and all-knowing. In Proverbs 18, notice with me if you would, verse 24, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Now notice the last part. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Do you have to wonder who that is? There's a friend. Somewhere there's this friend. And he sticketh closer than a brother. If you can imagine that, you can be a friend to the Creator of this universe. We find Abraham was such a friend with God. And in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7, It says, Thou didst give this land to Abraham, thy friend, forever. Called a friend of God forever. The New Testament equivalent in James 2.23 tells us that Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Can you picture yourself as a friend with God? I don't think we can. But the Bible tells us we are. You know, we can have a lot of friends, but there are none so lofty as God Himself. Imagine. And we speak of Abraham, but also Moses was called a friend of God. In Exodus 33.11, the Bible tells us that the Lord spake to to Moses face to face as a man speaketh with his friend. Imagine having that kind of relationship with a friend. You know, Enoch, the Bible says, walked with God. There was a friendship, and it speaks of a fellowship there of, of them walking together, friend with friend. And God took him. The Bible mentions Noah was a friend of God. You can actually be a friend of God. You say, well, I'm too much of a sinner. I I could never imagine God wanting this fellowship, this friendship, this relationship with me. Well, may I say to you, Jesus Christ said in Matthew 11.19 that the Son of Man is a friend of publicans and sinners. It doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you are. In fact, the very last thing that Jesus Christ called Judas. And we know what he did. You know what he called him? He said, friend. Wherefore art thou come? In Matthew 26. Calls him a friend as he's about to betray him. We find from that, that our relationship with our Heavenly Father is not based on certain criterias and contingencies and conditions. It's unconditional. You are his friend. 
You know, back in 1980 when uh, Ronald Reagan was elected President of the United States, the, the Speaker of the House at that time, and he'd been Speaker through, I think, uh, Carter and Ford, and now up into Reagan, but it was, it was Tip O'Neill. A lot of you would remember Tip O'Neill. I think he was from Massachusetts, a very, very liberal Democrat, and, and Reagan was a very staunch Republican. And, and Tip O'Neill went to the White House when Reagan got elected, and he said, you know, we're going to go toe-to-toe when it comes to politics during the day, but he said, after 6 o'clock, I'll be your friend. <laughs> Well, we don't have a God who's our friend after 6 o'clock or puts conditions on our friendship, folks. It doesn't matter. He is your friend. You can know the Lord closely and, and intimately. There was a preacher by the name of Dr. James Alexander who had for many years served the Lord faithfully and was on his deathbed finally dying. And dying slowly, it was agonizing, it was painful. And he had an associate of his reading the Bible to him as, as he was sick there on, the, on his deathbed. And the associate was reading through 1 Timothy 1.12, which, uh, where Paul says, I know whom I have believed. We sing that song even. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that, speaking of his soul, which I have delivered unto him against that day. And as this associate was reading it, he, he read it and he thought, that's not right. And so he, he corrected it. He corrected the Bible. And instead of saying, I know whom I have believed, he said, I know in whom I have believed. And he kept reading, and the old preacher caught it. He said, wait, 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 wait. He said, what did you say? And the guy said, well, I, I was trying to make it actually grammatically correct. I, I said, I know in whom I have believed. He said, he said, young man, don't ever put a preposition between me and the Lord. <laughs> and I thought of that. And he went on and he said, uh, I don't know in whom... I have believed. He said, I know Him. I know Him. Do you know Him? Have you been saved? Don't let anything come between you and God if you are a child of His. He is your dearest friend. But not only is He a a friend, but secondly, He's fair. He's fair. Turn to Psalm 98, if you would. We have a God who is fair. Now, People aren't always fair, and life's not always fair. In fact, uh, life is full of injustices. And I hate, I, I really hate injustices. Have you ever been treated unfairly? You know, you think of all the injustices of the past. I heard that back in 1965, there was a fellow by the name of Stanley Chrisman. He was driving through town, and a car got away from him, and he lost control, and he mowed over a mailbox, and he just he drove on. Now, he got caught and they brought him into the court and they sentenced him to 30 days in jail. But the clerk made a clerical error on it and put 30 years. This is a true story. This man spent 30 years in jail for reckless driving. And what's most amazing to me is he never said anything. <laughs> Finally, when he got out, they caught it. He goes, well, I thought that was an awful long time for running a mailbox over. You can imagine that. But what an injustice. That's horrible. You know, you think of all the injustices down through the the centuries, the so-called holy wars, that were really just the the church of Rome just defranchising people and and taking their property away, and if they protested, putting them to death. And you go, that's not fair. It's not. Slavery wasn't fair in this country. What Hitler did to the Jews was not fair. And we could talk about a lot of injustices. I mean, life's not fair whether nationally or, or domestically in your home or individually or, or even as a, an ecclesia, as a church, it's not fair sometimes. Well, God is always fair. He's never unfair. He's never unjust. 
And we read here in Psalm 98, and in verse number 8, it says, Let the, fe- uh, the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For He cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall He judge the world. And the people with equity. He comes to judge the world and the people with equity. Hebrew word may shower. It means evenly. It, it means straight. It means right. And ten times in the Bible it mentions our equitable God. The fact that He judges with equity. He is fair. Look in Psalm 99 across the page. And in verse 4, it says, The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. It's simply saying, God is fair. We have a very fair Heavenly Father. Turn, if you would, to the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, if you would. Our God is never unjust. I know He gets accused all the time of not being fair, of not being just, of not judging rightly. But let me just say, God is always 100% fair. If He was anything less, it would be sin and He would not be qualified to be the judge of the universe. Notice here in Proverbs 16, and in verse number 11, it mentions a just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. Can you picture... I think Lady Justice or whatever it is with the scales there and the two pans and the, the chain and, and her blindfolded so she's, she can't be biased or, or prejudiced in any way and how those scales had to be perfectly balanced. That's what this verse is talking about. In verse 11 it says, A just weight and balance are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are His work. Meaning, He's always going to be fair. You can count on having a fair Heavenly Father. Now, as earthly dads, we're not always fair, are we? I mean, we try to be at best. We try not to be flawed in our, our judgment, but we, sometimes we lose track of things. You dads ever do that? And, you, oh yeah, that's right, they got to do it now. It's, it's your turn. It might be a matter of sitting by the window in the car, you know, and their kids. And, but, but all these things, you, you, you get distracted and you get busy and you drop the ball. And sometimes, kids, we mess up, okay? We're not always fair. We try to be, but... We have a heavenly Father who is more than fair. And we can count on Him being fair. In fact, in Romans 2 and in verse 2, it says, it says we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. We don't wonder about it. We're not pondering it. We are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth. Not feelings. God doesn't base His decisions on His feelings or his emotions like we do, or where the money's at, or maybe a bias or a preference or a pet peeve we have. God doesn't operate that way. God is always 100% fair. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, and maybe I'll just quote it for you here. In verse number 4, speaking of the Lord, it says He is a rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. How many different ways does God have to say it? He's the rock. His work's perfect. All His ways are judgment. He's a God of truth. And without iniquity, just and right is He. You know, uh, 
God declared that, or Moses declared that about God just before he died, before Moses died. That is something that's always been true even since that time, and that is something that will be true throughout all eternity. Because we find in Revelation 15.3 that they're saying, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. That's what they're saying right now. That's what they'll say throughout all eternity. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. God our Father has always been fair. Remember when God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin? And Christ, I think, is actually the pre-incarnate appearance that is made there in Genesis. And He stops off and He talks with Abraham who has a lot and and uh, has Lot, his nephew, over there, and, and uh, uh, some nieces and nephews, of, 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 of great nieces and nephews of his. And, and he's thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed and, and, and saying, wait a minute, wait, wait, what if there's 50 righteous people there? Would you spare it? And God says, I'll spare it for the 50's sake. And uh, he goes on, he says, well, what if, what if there's 45? And he's, he's whittling God down. And along the way, he says this in verse 25 of that chapter. He says, shall not the judge... Of all the earth do right? That's quite a question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes. Yes. He shall do right. He always does right. You can count on Him doing right. He is always fair. We find that God is a friend. We find that God is fair. Thirdly, we find that God is free-handed. And by that I mean a giver, open-handed, a liberal in His giving, charitable and generous. That's our God. He's not a tightwad. There was a, a, a judge in London, I think it was, who was handling a very uh, messy divorce. And the wife's grounds for the divorce were that her husband was such a miser. I mean, so stingy. I mean, it started out bad when he wouldn't spend the money to take her on a honeymoon at the beginning. And, and down through the years, he never got her a present for her birthday. never uh, bought her anything for Christmas. And he, he actually would charge her for doing chores around the house. If he did chores, he gave her a bill. And, and when her relatives came, uh, he gave them a bill for taking showers and, and using electricity. This guy reminds me an awful lot of a guy named Gary over here. But uh, anyway, God's not like that. We find that God is free-handed. And by the way, we need to be free-handed. We need to give while we can. Uh, be givers. There was a, a rich man who was complaining to his preacher. And, and he said, people are always criticizing me about being so miserly. He said, I haven't earned that. He, he said, actually, I, I plan on giving everything away to charity when I die. And the preacher said, well, let me tell you a story about the pig and the cow. He said, the, the pig and the cow were talking. The pig was complaining that the cow was, was loved by everybody and the pig wasn't. And just because the, the cow was kind and, and gentle and, and would give milk and cream and butter, the pig protested and said, look, I, I give too. I'll, I'll be giving you know, ham and bacon and, and side pork. And the cow stopped him and he said, well, bottom line is, I, I, I give while I'm, I'm still living. He said, you need to give while you're still alive. Folks, we have a heavenly Father who is free-handed. And the Bible says that we're actually joint heirs with Christ. Now, wrap your mind around this. Everything Christ has, everything Christ has inherited for what He did, we will share with Him. We are co-heirs with Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3, 2 says, all things are yours. Revel in that a little bit. Let that sink in a little bit. 
Throughout all eternity, all things are yours. Turn back to First Chronicles chapter 29, if you would. Here by way of background, we have David. He's had an illustrious life or career, if you want to call it that. He's getting old now, and it's time to hand the baton off to uh, Solomon, his son. So he has some, some great words of wisdom here in chapter 29 of First Chronicles to pass along. And we pick it up in this chapter in verse number 10. Let's just look at four verses here. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? Notice this part. For all things come of thee. And of thine own have we given thee. Now remember when David wanted to build the temple? And God said, well, you're a man of war and you've shed blood. And I think I'll save that for your son. He'll be a man of peace. But David said, can I at least gather some material? So he got this drive going, if you will. And, and they started gathering the stuff to build the, the temple out of. And David is saying, look, we're able to give this stuff. But we got it from you in the first place. And how true that is. Whatever we have, We've gotten from God in the first place. Our God, our Father, is a giver. And of course, the most generous gift of all, no mistaking it, the unspeakable gift it's called, is the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary's cross. Look in 2 Corinthians in the New Testament if you would. We find that our God provides for us salvation. He's done it all. It's a gift now. It's something we simply receive. Receive by faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and in verse number 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. We know what that's talking about, don't we? Though He was rich, yet for our sakes He became poor. He put all that aside. Emptied Himself, the songwriter says, of all but love. He came to this earth. He died in poverty and shame so that we might be rich. And now, all things are ours. Look in Romans, if you would, chapter 8. You know, we often talk about salvation, and it is glorious, no question it. But what about all the trimmings? All the things that accompany it? Go with it? We find a golden nugget here in Romans chapter 8, and I want to share it with you in verse 32. Speaking of God, It says, He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? How true. I mean, if He'd give up His Son, what about the trimmings? Obviously, they go with the package. Our God is a continual giver. My wife and I were listening to a song last night as we were driving. And uh, it's on the radio station. And it says something along the lines of, out of His infinite wisdom in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth 
again. I don't think you can emphasize it too many times by saying it over. And there are some, 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 some ways that we could count that God has given to us, but it'd be a series of sermons. You know, we have human examples of generosity and, and people who are givers. You know that, I think it was uh, J.D. Rockefeller, during his lifetime, gave away $750 million. You go, well, you know, uh, that's being done these days. I'm not talking about these days. I'm talking about back in those days. That was a huge sum of money. $750 million. Do you know that Carnegie in the last year and a half of his life gave away $350 million? The last 18, over 18 months, he gives away $350 million. But folks, that all pales in comparison, comparing it to what our God has given to us in salvation and what our God will give to us throughout all eternity. All things are yours, the Bible says. The Bible says in James 1.17 that every perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. It comes from God. The Bible also says no good thing will He withhold from them that love Him. Christ said it this way, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We have a giving Heavenly Father. In fact, look in Matthew chapter 7 if you would. May I say this, if you're a giver, that's great, but you'll never outgive God. I mean, I thank God for the giving of the people of Fargo Baptist Church. I've watched God bless you and I rejoice because it's He who giveth thee power to get wealth in the first place. And when you're obedient in the giving back, the 10% or the tithe, I believe God will bless you for that. But I'll say this again, you'll never outgive God. And you could try. But you'll never outgive God. In Matthew 7 and in verse 11, If ye then be an evil, Christ speaking to us, mankind, if ye then be an evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? I've underlined those three words in my Bible. How much more shall your Father, note those words, your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them? That ask him. What a wonderful promise. Bible says he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is a rewarder. He is free handed. He is fair. He is a friend. And then finally and quickly, he is faithful. We can't finish a series without covering that one. God is faithful. When we think of faithfulness, what do we think of? You know, they have a, a geyser out west. My kids always call it a a geezer. And, and I said, no, that's Richard. That's, something, that's somebody else. But uh, it, it's a geyser. And it's, it's called Old Faithful. And Old Faithful, uh, every, I think, 65 minutes, spews this hot water up into the air, I think 170 feet. And, and, and they call it Old Faithful because you can count on it. You know, there was a longtime president of AT&T who uh, was asked perhaps of the greatest example of faithfulness in his, his organization over the years. And, and he said, well, I, I think it goes back to a blizzard that took place in Pennsylvania in 1926. And he said, a friend of mine who's an executive was, was in his car and he was trying to get to his office when his car stalled out, stalled out in the blizzard. And, and so he got out of his car and he was uh, walking into the wind and fighting his way along when he came up upon a, a teenage girl, skinny little girl, and, and, and she was actually holding on to the railings of a fence trying to make her way through the blizzard and get somewhere. And uh, he said, young lady, it's pretty bad out here. And she turned around, smiled, and said, yeah, yeah, pretty rough. And 
He said, what are you doing out here? And he, he said, well, I, she said, well, I've got to get to work. And they walked a little further and the blizzard just even whipped up worse. And, and finally the executive said, young lady, this is not worth it. He, she said, uh, he said, just turn around and go home. I'm going to go back to my home and just conduct my business over the phone. And why don't you go back to your house? And she said, I can't, sir. She said, I'm your operator. She was on her way to work so that she could field the calls like his. We call that faithful. But there is a far greater example or illustration of faithfulness. That is our God. The Bible says of Him in, in Hebrews 13.5, He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is a glorious promise from the Bible. We live in a day and age of uh, conditional loyalty, don't we? And, and uh, fair weather friends and fickle faithfulness. But, but we have a God who is faithful through thick and thin. Look, if you would, in John chapter 10. In, in this world of turncoats and traitors and folks who are loyal until they find a better deal, you know, or they get their feelings hurt, or uh, their, their expectations are unfulfilled. Boy, I've seen that many times in the ministry. There's this fickle faithfulness. Well, to the saved, we have this promise from our Lord here in John chapter 10. We pick it up in verse 28. Talking to the saved, He says, I and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of My hand. My Father which gave them Me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of My Father's hand. To the saved we find this promise to claim. I encourage you to do that. You know, and even to the lost, we find even in Judas, the Bible says of Christ, having loved His own, He loved them unto the end. He loved them unto the end. So what does this mean? Well, we have a Father who's a friend and who's fair and who's free-handed and, and who's faithful and basically perfect. Perfect. The perfect Father. And that Father has given us these verses we've been looking at for the last several weeks here. Promises, nearly 8,000 of them in the Word of God, that we can claim. What a God we have. What a Father we have. I hope this will reinforce the relationship we have with Him. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.